take the action. Just like my office building, I was scared. I had all the same fears. And then after you do it, you keep waiting for some kind of shoe to fall or, or some kind of hiccup. And then when it doesn't come, you realize, wow, much easier than I thought, just like everything else in life. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Adam Craig. Adam is joining us from Cleveland, Ohio. He has been a real estate investor for nine years and has done over 80 deals. Adam's portfolio is valued at $7 million and includes 51 doors and three commercial buildings. Adam, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? Hey, Ash, I'm really good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's our pleasure. Thanks for being here. Adam, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. I was born and raised just outside Cleveland, Ohio. Went to Kent State to study finance and thought I'd be selling insurance most of my life. And luckily, I started a business right out of college that was fairly profitable. And I saved most of the money of that business and poured it right into real estate. So I started real estate roughly right out of college. I've been doing it since 2013. What was the business that you started out of college? It's a online retail business. It doesn't get me up in the morning or get me excited, but it pays the bills. It's just buying broken and defective photography equipment, repairing it, not always through myself, but through repair services and then reselling it. So I'm buying defective equipment, getting it fixed and turning it back over. Is that side hustle still going? Still going to this day. I think I saw my peak numbers probably about 2016, 2015, but it's still a good enough income that I'm still doing it. Probably devote about 30% of my time to it. But obviously you're more passionate about real estate. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, Real estate's where I always wanted to go. I know that will always be there at the Amazon, the online business that can go away in the heartbeat. All right. So you started with single family homes. Take me through that journey. Yeah. I contemplated between single family duplexes, fourplexes, and I always liked the idea of single family, mostly because you hear the tenants tend to stay longer. The cash flow is not always as good as a two duplex or a fourplex, but at the same time, Single family homes tend to appreciate a little more than duplexes and fourplexes because they appeal to the masses versus just investors looking for investment properties. So single family was kind of what I set on right away. I looked at a house for the better part of a year. It was on the market for more than a year back then, 2012, 2013. That was pretty common. And uh, finally, I pulled the trigger on a $50,000 single family home. And then what was next? It was a mold infested basement house, which is why, uh, again, that would get gobbled up today, no problem. But back then, people weren't touching that. The inventory was pretty high. So I got some quotes together on the mold, which was the big scare of mine. And when I saw that that wasn't that big of a deal, the rest of it really kind of came together pretty quick. It was more of a carpet and paint type deal compared to what I'm doing now, which is the burst strategy. And that's just rehabbing everything. So I think the rehab probably should have taken three weeks. It took maybe three or four months, but I had no contractors, no experience. So I was just winging it. Adam, what was next after that? Did you take on multifamily? Did you take on more single family homes? So I went single family for a long time and I was still using mostly my own money and I was doing the 20% down and paying for my own rehab. So 
I can only afford one, maybe two properties a year. And I was constantly going broke. It was sinking too much of my own money in these properties. I wasn't getting it back out. So it wasn't until about the third or fourth year I got into hard money lending. I found one that was really flexible in his terms. And I went from one to two deals a year to about eight to 10. And then I averaged about 12 to 14 a year for a couple of years there. So as soon as I found the financing, things just skyrocketed. Where did you find the financing? It was through bigger pockets. I searched all over the place and a lot of the big institutional financial lenders out there that required 75% LTV. They had a lot of strict inspections. This guy was not that. He had his own money, so a lot more flexible in terms of what he was able to do. And then once he trusted me, there were no inspections or too many issues getting draws or anything like that, which was big to me. And what were the terms on a typical investment? He is at 15% interest and then five points on the first deal. And then the points get worked down on every deal. So I got to the point where I was only paying one point per deal. So the 15% interest didn't bother me too much. So it was one point and 15% interest. Yes. Yeah. So the typical rates, two and 10 or two and 12. So yeah, you're right in line. That's great that you have that relationship. You're able to turn and burn them. When did you get into multifamily? I've gotten to commercial real estate in 2018. I was looking for an office space to rent for myself because uh, I just had a child and the work from home thing was not happening anymore. It just wasn't efficient. So in my look for rental space, I came across a commercial building that through some negotiation ended up purchasing. I still have that building. I occupy one of the spaces for myself and then I lease out about 4,500 square feet to the rest of the tenants. Take us through the numbers on that deal, if you would, please. So I bought that with a combination of seller financing and my hard money lender who I just referred to. The seller financed 50000 of a 275000 purchase price. And then I borrowed roughly 275000 for the purchase and rehab at 15%, which that hurts. I have private lenders today, so I'm paying closer to 9 or 10%. So 15% on that type of loan, I, I wouldn't do today. But at the time, it did work out. Did you attempt to get conventional bank loan? So completely vacant building, which is similar to most of the commercial real estate I buy. There are no bank loans on vacant buildings that I know of. I'm going to give you my advice and my experience. I've bought a lot of commercial office, retail, industrial buildings, and a local lender is the way to go. And ideally, a lender that's close to your building. You can't use a big bank for that. They'll never even look twice at it. But local lenders and credit unions, if it's in their town or in their backyard, they're much more likely to do a loan on a property like that. And once you establish that relationship with a local lender, they'll expand their geographic boundaries. So for example, I have a lender in Cincinnati that will typically only lend in Ohio or Kentucky, Indiana, maybe a hundred mile radius. But because I've done so many deals with them, they'll loan on anywhere across the country for me. And I'm not unique. Any established relationship, they would do the same for. So big banks, man, they're not going to touch these types of deals. Yeah, I do understand. And, and I have some pretty good relationships with really small banks in my area, but I've ran every commercial deal past them and at 0% occupancy, they still didn't want anything to do with it. So maybe I'll look a little harder. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. 
realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget-to-actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. When you say local lenders, how many branches do they have? Two. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I look for the smallest banks in the area through reserves and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. I always tell people three or fewer locations because any more than that, there's a lot of transitioning promotions. People move around. My bank now has three locations and literally the same people I started dealing with 14 years ago are still there in the same positions and they're awesome to deal with. So for the best ever listeners, I would attempt to find local lenders when you have non-conforming commercial deals, vacant deals, anything that doesn't fit the mold for a big bank. Yeah, so a little follow up on that is when I speak to these guys, they give you the reasons for it. When you go to a medium or large size bank, it usually goes one, two, three times up the chain for loan decisions. But my loan originator is the guy actually talking to the underwriter in his office next door. So the relationship, it's all about relationships. A hundred percent. Yeah. And a big bank that denied me on a loan at the very last minute, I gave him 60 days notice. Everything was fine. I had enough cash to buy the building. But literally a couple of days before the closing, they told me the underwriter did not approve the loan. And I said, well, where's the underwriter? Let's get a meeting. Let's get him on the phone. Oh, the underwriter's in Pittsburgh. You're right. It's just a number, right? Might as well outsource it overseas. Yep. So yeah, that relationship is so important. Yeah. But I'll well, hear- get in touch with you and hear more about this financing on the unoccupied buildings. That's intriguing to me. Yeah. I want to find out more about this office building. So it was completely vacant. How long was it vacant for? An attorney rehabbed it in the 80s and wound his business down. So it had been vacant for about a year. You could occupy it, but it smelled terrible. Bad carpet, need paint. It just looked like an 80s building, all the fluorescent lighting. So we did a full rehab on it. We made it nicer than I would make most of my office buildings because it's in a real quaint part of a downtown area that's trendy. And I was also occupying it. So I wanted it to look a little nicer than a building I wasn't occupying. So it actually attracted all female uh, office tenants because of the little character it had. And most of my tenants at 
all my offices, in fact, are, are female, which I thought was un- unusual. So we must be rehabbing them in a fashion that appeals to the female business owner. That's a compliment to you. How did you find tenants for this? We manage our own properties on the residential side. So it's a no brainer for finding tenants residential on the commercial side. I wasn't exactly sure. So I did initially reach out to some brokers. And then once I figured out what the fees were going to be, I said, you know, maybe I can do this myself. And thank God I did. It was just like residential. You, you advertise in all the available spots, Facebook syndicated to all the available options like LoopNet and Crexy and, and you find tenants. A hundred percent. I had a very similar experience. How many different office suites are in here? It's a small building, but there's actually four different suites. We have a chiropractor, a wellness business, and a couple of tax attorneys. But we broke it up probably a little prematurely. I was really anxious to get it filled. So I was willing to take on some smaller tenants when two or three tenants would have been more suitable. Who paid for the tenant improvements? It was all borrowed money. We didn't have tenants come to us with the ideas. We essentially finished the space which my first time around probably was a bit of a mistake because we did go back and redo some work for the tenant. Yeah, I have a similar story, if you don't mind me sharing, maybe a 10,000 square foot office building. And it's again, broken up into anywhere from 3,000 to 400 square feet. And there's probably a total of eight to 10 tenants in there now. But many of those tenants literally got a white box, some with just plywood floors and unfinished drywall. And they took a lot of pride into finishing it themselves. Sometimes I would pay for the materials. Other times they would just go in there and put their own touches on it. So for smaller mom and pop office buildings like that, you often don't have to make it pristine because it's amazing what some of these small business owners do when they come in. They just see their vision. They have somebody in their family that's handy and they come in and just transform the space on their dime often. So keep that in mind. Yeah, I will. A lot of times, if I have a partially occupied building or or something mostly occupied, I'm a little stingier on what I'm willing to do and making the tenants do the build out is more likely. But when I have a hundred percent vacant building, I'm pretty flexible on what I'm doing. A hundred percent. I agree with you. Yeah. There's momentum. So when something's vacant, nobody wants to be the first one in a vacant building because they're afraid it's just going to remain vacant. Awesome. So this thing's cash flowing very well for you now, I would assume. Yeah. Even with me occupying about a fifth of it, I'm cash flowing roughly 2000 a month between 1500 and 2000. It's not metered. So it's flexible to the utilities. And is the management overhead fairly minimal? Very minimal. And that's what I figured out in in residential versus commercial. The, The oversight of commercial is much, much less. Yes. What are the other two commercial buildings that you have? So shortly after that, I purchased a 9,000 square foot office building a couple cities away. We are just signing our final lease on that building. So that is going to be a cash flow monster somewhere in a three to $4,000 neighborhood after we get it refinanced. And that one filled up in a hurry and it's not even really in a great part of town, but similar to the other one, it was beyond the point of moving right in. So we did a pretty extensive rehab, put in some nice finishes. And at the end of the day, we should probably net two to 300,000 in equity after the refinance, unless we decide to pull a lot of cash out. Adam, can we dive into the numbers on that? Certainly. So this was a loop net property. The list price was 160,000. I had been looking for quite a while. So I knew right away that this was a really good number per square foot for the area. So I made a full ask. He accepted a few days after he indicated that he had some higher offers, but it was a little too late. He was under contract. So 160 purchase price rehab was roughly 120,000, which a major part of that being the roof. And then 
we are going to be bringing in almost a dollar a square foot. So somewhere between 7,500 and 8,500 a month in rental income. And same thing, you have to do some tenant improvements. Did some tenant improvements. And what we started doing on this building, we rehab the first floor. The second floor, we left completely wide open. And what we're offering our tenants were come move into our lower level and we'll rehab it just like our upper level on your dime, but we'll amortize the cost over the lease, which appealed to so many tenants that didn't have enough money to fork over three or four or $5,000 for the lease. Yeah, that's fantastic. What about common area maintenance charges? It's building to building. This building, we don't have any common area, which is great. So they're actually all responsible for their own maintenance and cleanup and all that stuff. The building I referred to previously isn't set up like that. So I do have a cleaner that comes in at $50 a week, but I don't charge. A lot of these costs, I end up working into the initial lease rather than tack on the fees because I I don't know if tenants like seeing some of these fees. Maybe they just like seeing one big bill at the end of the month versus seeing that they're paying for electrical and HVAC and taxes and all that. I know a lot of people do triple net leases and on some of the buildings we have those, but some of the buildings we go away from those as well. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. When you have small mom and pop businesses, they can't absorb variable costs very easily. So if you have a bad winter, they can't fork out an extra $1,000 for snow removal. So I think you're doing the right thing by just having a flat rate. This way they can budget for it. They know what to expect, no surprises, and they focus on running their business. So that's great. And the third one, is that an office building as well? Yeah, third one, and there's actually a fourth one I have under contract, but the third one, we've seemed to go up in in size on each one, but 22,000 square foot mini strip plaza with Key Bank being the major tenant in there. So this was the first commercial building I purchased that had occupancy, but the kicker was this was for sale right during the peak of COVID, so 2020, and it had a restaurant vacancy. So Banks, again, wouldn't touch it. It only appealed to cash buyers, and it was an inheritance property, so the kids wanted to get rid of it. So list price, four fifty. dollars We offered three hundred. dollars ended up settling on $350,000. And from day one, the building was bringing in about 7000 in rents. So all our monthly lending costs were already cash flowing without even refinancing. What was the percent vacant that this building was on purchase? It was about 60% vacant. And how did you feel about that? Everyone called me crazy, not only for the restaurants, but the areas I tend to buy my commercial properties are similar to where I buy my residential properties. I would say I call them C plus, B minus areas. That's just where I find the cash flow opportunity. They're not necessarily the sexy areas, but just like the single family, they're the big payback on the cash flow. Yeah, well, they probably called you crazy for buying vacant office space as well. I heard a lot of that. Yeah. I I posted on Instagram and they said, good move. Just all kinds of things just jabbing at me, but we filled it up almost as COVID was coming to an end. It's still going on, but right on the upside. Good for you. And how are you filling up the strip center? So the strip center, we just signed a five-year lease on the restaurant. It took about five months. We didn't do any rehabs to the restaurant because we just had no idea what the new owners wanted to bring. We agreed to do six months free for a five-year and six-month lease, and then we're doing roughly $2,000 worth of work for these tenants. And personal guarantees on the lease? Personal guarantees on the lease, and there were three of them too, which is always nice. So you can go after three rather than one. So they yeah. were. we had a lot of applications, but a lot of the people had a couple thousand in their bank and an idea of a restaurant. We wanted to wait for someone who was solid, and these people were solid. That's awesome. Six months free rent is worth the amount of renovations and the five-year lease. 
So what percentage of the strip center is vacant now? Including the restaurant, we have four big tenants, Key Bank, the restaurant, two hair salons, and then we are rehabbing 8,000 square feet on the second level, which is just going to be strictly office space. We've already signed two leases on that. We're just not done with the work yet, so they haven't moved in. Two hair salons, are they competing or are they complementary? They don't seem to have a problem with each other. They've been there for a while. One of them is probably on their way out because they haven't had their rent raised in quite some time. And after the demand we had in that area, I told them they, they couldn't stay any longer at that rent. Got it. And were they all just month-to-month leases? Key Bank was not, but the, the two hair salons were month-to-month. We converted one of them to a three-year lease, and the other one is month-to-month until she decides if she's going to leave. How long is the Key Bank lease? It expires in 2025 with an option to renew. They've been there since 1993, so we hope they stay. Yeah, that's great. And what is the building that you have under contract? So... After not having any success finding single families for the past year and a half, like many people out there, which has actually been a blessing in disguise because the cash flow and the time investment in the commercial is far more worth the single family mess. But we have a 28,000 square foot, three-story building under contract in, I would say, a C plus B minus area. It's a, um, what do they say? It's a economic opportunity zone. So the city is very involved in getting this building turned around and we got it for pennies on the dollar. We're under contract for $190,000. And again, it's 26,000 square feet. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference, February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. Here's a problem you're probably not solving for right now. Have you ever had a tenant squat inside your rental and refuse to pay rent? Or are you worried about renting to a serial rent dodger? You've probably used a credit report for tenant screening before. But what if I told you you're missing out on info you need to properly verify prospective tenants? That's a problem. And the solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a summary of a prospective tenant's financial information using bank verified transactional data you can't get from a credit check. This includes monthly income, payroll, past rent payments, and identity verification. Rentify's reports also highlight non-sufficient funds, overdraft history, and missed rent payments. It's all available at www.trustrentify.com. The best part is Rentify's financial reports instantly verify the full financial picture of a tenant within minutes, so you will no longer have to waste hours or even days verifying their information manually. And you can eliminate the risk of being duped by fraudulent documents and losing thousands of dollars getting unreliable tenants evicted. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first report package. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y.com. Put in the promo code FAIRLESS, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first report package. What is the city doing to help? So the person who purchased this building three years ago received some grants to fix up the exterior, and he had plans of putting a brewery into there. It's right downtown. The city wants a restaurant in there, and they're trying to give everything they can to make sure that happens. I spoke with the city, and I told them I'm all for a restaurant, but if 
an accounting company or a title company wants to move into that lower level, they're going to get the space. I'm not going to hold out for a restaurant, but I understand why they want it. They're trying to rejuvenate their downtown area and every nice town has nice restaurants. Good for you for being forward with them, but have you asked for tax abatement? It's just got under contract about two weeks ago. I have a meeting with the economic developer over there, and she has several programs, including tax abatements. And the Opportunity Zone also can be some tax savings down the road when it comes time to sell. Yeah, that is great. I would definitely work with the city and see whatever help they can provide, whether it's abatements, tips, or whatever. How about a liquor license? Liquor license, I haven't discussed with them, but obviously that would be a biggie because that was one of the difficult issues we had leasing our previous restaurant drivers. We did not have a liquor license. Is it in the same town? It's not in the same town. Ah, okay. I was going to say leverage that and get two for one. I would talk to the city and see if they'll pull some strings to get a liquor license for you. Yeah, we have a meeting in about three weeks. That's definitely something I'll bring up. So the lower level could be a restaurant. It can be retail space. And then it has a second and third floor that would likely be office space. A lot of people have suggested converting to residential. And at the end of the day, that could be a better dollar figure at the end of the day. It's a lot of work, a lot of logistics. I'm just going to keep it off the space. Yeah. This sounds like a massive win, but a massive project as well. Mm -hmm. What do you estimate the rehab costs to come in at? I think two to 300,000, somewhere in that neighborhood. But again, it would depend on what we do for the tenants as well. And have you thought about going to a traditional lender or taking on investors? So when I told you I borrowed money at 15%, I have since, I guess you could say, graduated into private investors. I have about 10 to 12 private investors I work with now, and I've been offering them 10% interest plus one point. So still a good return. I'm still happy to save 5%. And I plan on growing that private investor pool. So I only use the hard money character when I have shortcomings. I think with your track record, you should qualify for traditional bank financing. I wouldn't pay 10% because I don't think you have to. That's good to hear. I guess I can knock on some more doors. Yeah. And I think this property will appraise quite a bit higher. Yes. And then the opportunity zone, there's a lot of investors who are really looking to offset some of their capital gains, put it into an OZ property. So if you're willing to take on an investment partner that has funds that they want to kick the tax can down the road for, might be an opportunity for you to partner with somebody and not give up as much equity because part of their return comes from being in that opportunity zone. Man, I think lenders would love you with what you're doing, your track record. I would get out of that high interest mindset. Well, I like to hear that. My lenders do like me, but it's typically after I have a building somewhat stabilized with at least pro formas in, in place. Yeah, I disagree. I think you find the right lender and yeah. they would love to partner with you. I got to ask you, on the last two properties, how did you find them? The key bank building that I was referring to previously was on LoopNet, so it was open market. But again, it was right at the heart of COVID, so everyone was scared to death. But after we get it under contract, the broker was showing me strong interest from the West Coast, all these California buyers trying to snatch up properties. So they had other offers on the table. She was trying to keep her clients working with a local investor because a lot of times these West Coast deals fall through for this reason or that reason. So luckily she was able to keep them on board at $100,000 off the asking price. That's great. And the most recent one? That was MLS property. It's been active, but he just dropped the price 75000 And then I offered less than that and ended up getting it at the 190 price, but he's had it on the market for about two years now. So he's dropped it considerably. And Adam, are you pretty glued to all the new properties that come out? 
What do you mean by glued? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Lately I have, I pretty much see most of them, I would say. Yeah. So that first mover advantage is often very helpful. What's next for you? (laughs) Well, after doing single family for so long, I just felt like I was so good and learned my niche and the numbers were great. I went from cash flowing two to 300 a property to six to 800 a property. So the single family is great, but after doing a little bit of commercial, I could see potentially never buying a single family home again. Yeah, I would tend to push you in that direction. But Adam, what do you say to that single family investor who's doing well and they're scared to death of retail or an office and they think, you know, oh, it's a dumb move. Why would you do it? COVID, all the excuses. What do you say to that person? I say to that person, open their mind to other asset classes. I'm a big believer in diversity and that comes to real estate too. If you can get into office or retail or industrial or mobile home parks have been a big research project of mine and probably a lot of other people because of bigger pockets blowing that asset class up. There's opportunity out there in a lot of different sectors and in single family is great. So if you're buying single family homes, you can make a good living and have a nice retirement, but don't be closed-minded to the other stuff that's out there. Adam, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best real estate investing advice ever would be generic, but take the action. Just like my office building, I was scared. I had all the same fears. And then after you do it, you keep waiting for some kind of shoe to fall or or some kind of hiccup. And then when it doesn't come, you realize, wow, much easier than I thought, just like everything else in life. That's great. Adam, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. Let's do it. Adam, what's the best ever book you recently read? One of my favorites is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It's not quite a sales book. It's a book on life, but that's probably my favorite. Adam, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I like to give back through helping other investors get their feet wet or accelerate their career. I haven't got to the point where I'm charging for that service yet. I know a lot of experienced investors have courses and classes, but really I enjoy it. I have a lot of people reluctant to ask me things because they don't think I want to talk about it, but I'll talk real estate all day long. My wife yells at me every time we're out. I never bring it up, but if somebody else brings up real estate, ah, conversation's done. That's all I talk about. Good for you. And Adam, great conversation. How can the best ever listeners reach out to you? So on Instagram, Adam, the investor, cleinvest.com is my website. And my email is adam at clerealestategroup.com. Anyone want to connect or go over any deals? I'm happy to talk. Adam, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to share your journey with us. I'm glad you found the different asset classes from single family and you serve as an example to a lot of single family investors on what can be done by looking at different asset classes. So thank you again for joining us today. Thanks again for having me. Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us and have a best ever day.